0: A T-Nex, mostly queer writer's room, mostly female, um, you, you really see us. Um, and you don't know what that sort of recognition can do, especially in a time when we are much maligned and vilified. Um,
1: I watched Tanya Saracho like make this speech it's last month at the GLAAD Awards. She um, reminded the audience just how rare it is to see such a brown, queer show on TV and why that is so important with everything going on in our country today. Tanya is the executive producer and creator of the TV show Vida. The show tackles gender, sexuality, gentrification, among many other things, all told through the story of two Latinx sisters who return home to Boyle Heights in Los Angeles. Tanya and I talk about the assumptions we make about Latinx people. We also talk about the assumptions we make about queer people. Tanya has been called a tourist in different queer spaces. And then we talk about how everything in her life came full circle when she worked with her high school boyfriend, Raul Castillo, on the show Looking. From Luminary Media, I'm Jeffrey Masters, and this is LGBTQ and A. I'm excited to talk to you because I haven't seen a show in a while that made me say, I can't believe this exists.
0: Really? On TV. Ooh, like which part?
1: Well, I mean that as a compliment too, Yeah, yeah, no, just I felt your
0: face is beaming. So it feels oh, okay. like. okay, thank you. Yeah.
1: I mean that because it is so queer. It is so Latinx and it has such a female gaze. And I've not seen that often on TV, let alone in one show. Yeah. So, I mean, I said I'm surprised it exists. Do you feel
0: that way? Yes. It's funny because I walk in my surprise, but also my gratitude because it's not like I'm surprised because I didn't think we had something good. It's just the fact that it resonated with so many people and not just latinx queers you know yeah. it has so many like concentric circles immigrant just any children of immigrant or if you have loss if you have some kind of relationship with a family member like it's been exciting to like you know meet people who like it and also the way we're shooting it resonates with some people or they just are liking it those sex scenes are shot very specifically one of the uncomfortable parts we want to stay linger in them the Comfortable, but like a little bit more voyeuristic present parts, you know, like where you see a little too much that maybe in another show you wouldn't see. It's like, I want you to feel like you're there in a way.
1: Yeah. yeah. I mean, even the first episode, we see a guy eating a girl out. I'm trying yeah. to say i phrase, yeah, phrase that. But yeah, he's yeah. eating her out her um, outside, like on a staircase. And With
0: people upstairs mourning the mom. Yeah. yeah,
1: exactly. And I was like, oh, this is a different show because any other show would have had those roles reversed, right? Oh, yeah. She'd be going down on him.
0: Yeah. Yeah, but no, I mean, actually, both those girls, they're tops. They are alphas. Emma is a femme top. And you can tell she's got her nails down, you know, if you look at the signs, you see them, but we're never going to be overt about it or explain, you know, there's one scene in the whole season where she gets close to explaining and all she explains is, like, I don't want to explain. That's basically what she says. I think it's real, you know?
1: And this is why we need queer creators making these shows, because I've never heard a creator describe a female character as a femme top. Yeah,
0: femme top. Right? Like, yeah. in the
1: history of TV. Right,
0: right. <laughs> oh, and the way we curated that scene in the third episode with a non-binary person, you always think non-binary people, there's like a perception that maybe they're more masked and they're top. But Emma's topping the non-binary person, you know? Most of my room that first season was you know, brown queer women. My whole room is Latinx, but there's one cis male, you know, and then most of the women are queer. And we workshop that scene because we wanted to get it right, but also not surprising, but real. Vida never wants to be like surprising for the sake of being surprising. It's just like, what's true to life? What's my experience? We share our experiences in the writer's room. And then what you saw was the most workshop curated, like quote unquote, right version of. Yeah. yeah.
1: And we see this female character being sexually ruthless. For lack of it, words. Right, right, right. And it's right. so exciting. Face-sits. Yeah.
0: Yeah, we have face-sitting. I love them.
1: Yeah, but I think that this show signals how different things are in Hollywood and how the rules that used to exist don't anymore.
0: Well, okay, I wouldn't say that fully because if you look at the statistics, we're still nowhere, right? There's like 500 shows. Yeah. But I think some people, the gatekeepers, are more willing to... And it matters who's in there. And the gatekeepers, I mean, is like the executives. Yeah. So my executive, her name is Marta Fernandez. Of course, that's going to make some sense that I didn't have to convince her that our story's worth it, you know? Because that's what you have to go in there when you do these, you sell these shows. You have to go a little bit of a tap dance and be like, "Look, this world is worth it." And sometimes it hurts when it's like, "So you don't think my Mexican American family that I'm showing you is worth it?" It becomes about valuing the world too, not just the content.
1: And you were saying that your entire writers' room is almost brown queer people, and also like it makes sense that there's like this brown person at the top that green yeah, lit this thing. You
0: know, so it makes sense, and also that's why there's always been a yes and with everything.
1: Gotcha. I think what I said that. This- this is rewriting the rules of Hollywood. I mean it, and it's exemplifying that more is possible than we thought. Yes. I think three years ago, Vita would have been made if it had a white character Agreed. that the exec was like, this is now accessible. Yeah. and But you don't have that one white character. Mm-hmm. And yet— we it's, otherize
0: whiteness a little bit because it's a brown female gaze. It's not just female. It's brown female gaze. But
1: you also complicate the Latinx narrative in that you're otherizing brown people yeah. by brown people. Yeah. And
0: that's new, too. Yeah, because that's the theme of the show, gentrification, not gentrification. Gentrification is the gentrification of a space, a Latinx space by upperly mobile Latinx. So it's like we are gentrifying our own. And that's what the show is. And it's complicated because these girls are from the neighborhood. But now they're coming back, just making any changes to that bar. And you don't see that the first season, but you will second season. Small changes in the bar, it will attract a different kind of patron. And so it will gentrify. It's not always great, especially second season. That's the whole thesis.
1: And with gentrification, I find it so difficult to talk about because I think that like each side is super right. You know, like everyone is so passionate and I exactly get it, what they're saying.
0: I mean, especially right now, what's happening in that area of L.A., Boyle Heights, they're being displaced. And that's cultural erasure. So absolutely, I'm understanding what's happening there. I understand what they're going to have to do. You know how the neighborhoods react until they went off to do something. They come back, they present differently. And, you know, the neighborhood is not that happy about it. But I understand it all in that regard, you know.
1: With the two sisters, they are... Not always likable. Oh no. They do. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm to make sure yeah. I'm not offending you. <laughs> they're not always likable. And I wanna know, like, how do you craft characters that are not likable but still enjoyable to watch that we can invest in?
0: Yeah. So, like, the likable thing, especially other creators have had to think about it. I knew these girls were not gonna be likable, but I just wanted them to be compelling. If they're steeped in a compelling narrative, a compelling story, it seems true to life. It's a very character-driven show. So small things like that scene where she's trying to master, and they're praying in the rosary outside. There's no words, but you see a lot happening at the end of that episode, you know, where where she's trying to master and crying. Like those moments are character moments. They're not story. They don't further the story. But I feel like to stay true to both characters, you can be compelling. The same thing with Lynn coming back in the bus. There's no story point to that it's just essence and it leaves you with essence but I feel like a character show that dedicates itself to character can do that
1: oh and you make it complicated because Lynn appears to be obsessed with her appearance yeah and yet we find out that she got a boob job and she hates it
0: she becomes whatever the guy wants her to be as a sporty guy she becomes sporty she takes up tennis she whatever you know and it's kind of gross she needs to get to know each other but then well Johnny is the only one who like at a core level they are like the oh, it's so beautiful, second season. It's just a, a small moment, but explains so much about her. Like, oh, you don't really like yourself. But it's it's a little moment, you know? And I love that we get to do that on the show, because it's like it's half hour, but I pack a lot in, but uh, story-wise, it's a slow burn, but you get so much into their characters in each episode.
1: These are all super political things we're talking about, Mm -hmm. and yet you don't address the politics of the time directly. You don't mention Trump or, like, policies. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's a great point. Yeah,
0: they're walking in their politic. So, like— Mari, in La Chinche, sure, she's political, but she's also walking in her politics, in her politic with her dad, with her brother. Like, so she's being oppressed in so many ways, but she's walking in that politic. The girls, too.
1: And the show yeah. premiered in 2018. Yeah. You worked on it for a couple years before that. That was during the election and mm-hmm. the aftermath. Did that affect the writing and crafting and creating of this world?
0: Yeah, It always affects because it affects my life, you know, so and also that room, my writer's room, we're all children of immigrants or immigrants ourselves. One of my writers, her wife, was undocumented only two years ago, you know, and now they're married, you know, so she can be here. So like we have skin in the game. But what we didn't want to do was an issue based show in the lived experience, hopefully, because I think with Vida, I do want to get a look inside these women, this neighborhood that is out there right now, but like a lot of America has never had access to. In a way, their their awfulness hopefully normalizes them too. But you know, it's like, oh, they're shitty. Oh, I I'm shitty too. I have those complicated feelings towards my sister. Oh my God, I can't stand her. But uh that's my sister. Hopefully in their awfulness they can um be normalized.
1: Yeah. We've used the term Latinx a couple times. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I think that's a newer term sure. for people. Sure. It's just a gender neutral Latina, Latino, Latino right,
0: right? That's right. We used to say Latino and that's a masculine because, you know, it's such a gender language, Spanish. But we're trying to take gender out by saying Latinx or Latinx because it was an academic term. Nobody said this is how you say it, you know. Nobody said the pronunciation. So Latinx, Latinx. Oh, because
1: the word was created on the page, yeah. not vocally. Mm-hmm. That's so very no, fun. Yeah.
0: Too. Because then you put an X like X, you start to put an X on anything to take gender away, but then sometimes it doesn't sound it doesn't sound great.
1: I think that when it comes to Latin America, there are so many different countries, yeah, and they're so specific and different. And yet I think that we think we know who Latin American people are. Like we know who Latin X people are. And that's not a positive thing. I think that we like with representation and with the politics, we've stigmatized them to be like less intelligent.
0: Well, we haven't had that many narratives on television. So we haven't gotten a chance to be like, oh, this is the Puerto Rican narrative. This is the Cuban American. Well, we just had uh, one day at a time. You know, this is a Mexican American narrative. Like we haven't had enough narratives on television. So, yeah, there's 27 countries that make up the Latin diaspora. We've never seen a Bolivian show.
1: I mean, I think of, like, big shows like West Side Story, and this was, like, created by white people.
0: Created by white people. Yeah, with white except for Rita Moreno with white people in the original cast.
1: Also, I don't want to drag Devious Maids because I know you worked on that show, but, like, that is a show that employed a lot of Latinx people. Yeah,
0: five Latina leads, yeah. And yet
1: we're employing them in roles that they're maids.
0: Yeah, that was a complicated thing. Listen, one of our truths in this country is that we are domestic workers. We are nannies. Like, Roma was able to... Honor sort of that narrative, that we are judges and that we are doctors, but we are domestic workers. We are gardeners. That is a real thing. We
1: just can't only see
0: exactly
1: represented right. as mates.
0: Or thugs with three lines. You know, I used to be an actor, back in Zay, and all my roles were usually in Spanish, like the kitchen worker. And, be, and then I had to tell the cop and be like, el cuerpo, el cuerpo aquí, el muerto. and I had to like cry and they wouldn't even like translated they would put it in English and i was like i obviously can speak spanish but what if i didn't you know like it's like that little respect for those roles for a long time as an actor yeah. you know i had a theater company called teatro luna all female in chicago and the second show we did was called the maria chronicles cuz for so long all the roles we were going for were named maria and usually the line was something like just mr johnson you know what i mean like all of my friends who were actresses had to Audition for the same Just Mr. Johnson role. I mean, that happened a while ago, but, and stuff is moving forward in that regard, but not, we're not there yet. Right.
1: I think of like positive examples like Jane the Virgin. Yes. And I think of negative examples, not even negative, but Ugly Betty, like the connotation of ugly in the title, and she's a sure. poor family. Yeah,
0: that has comes to the history of a telenovela, because it's based on a very, very popular Latin American telenovela. So in Colombia and Mexico, they remade it. It's called Betty La Fea, too. Oh, funny. So I think that, but in English, it sounds ugly. Yeah, and I,
1: I bring up these stigmas and stereotypes, because I think that when it comes to xenophobia and racism against Latinx mm-hmm. people, I think that it's socially acceptable to express Racism, like towards Mexicans.
0: Yeah, well, we have had this conversation a lot. My, my cast, my my writers. Why, though? Right, like we're eighteen percent of this country. We're the majority minority. I hate the term minority, but we're the majority when it comes to the minority. But yet, why is it because we're not in the media enough? Like, meaning entertainment. I don't understand why we don't take up the, the proper space. Meaning, get the respect to not say horrible things. That Fox thing that said that everything's Mexico, you know, like it's not even respect to all our countries.
1: And I think that to your question, I think there's not like one answer, obviously. But I think when it comes to the media, like it's only been white people in charge. And so they weren't interested in like portraying other families per se. Like your show got greenlit because there was a Latinx woman in charge.
0: I think so. I mean, that's the only interpretation I can have, you know. Yeah. I get championed.
1: I think that as a culture, we've always loved consuming other cultures, but the racism is so baked into our country where we see my big fat Greek wedding. We don't say, I can't relate to them. We say, oh my God, they're uh, just like me. Yeah. I love them. And then we see this like Latinx yeah. family and we think, well, it's just not my family. I just can't relate to it.
0: Yeah, I don't. And I don't have an answer for why. Because it's like, yeah, I don't.
1: Does that sound horrible?
0: It sounds real. It sounds like something we were experiencing. Not quite... In that, but like the fact that why don't you latch on to our culture enough to respect it? And come on, I'm being generalizing. There's a lot of people that obviously do, but I'm talking generally as Latinx in this country. You know, like why isn't our our story worth it? You know, like yeah. sometimes I ask myself that. But obviously, it like you said is changing, and a lot of people are seeing us. Meaning, like fully seeing who we are and i love that but we're in cages on the border right now you know it's something to think about i don't know the fix
1: and i think it's like everything working together too the politics the media this and that i think it's even like you drive in the street and you see taco bell and you think oh mexican food is all fast food only
0: uh taco bell is not mexican (laughs) (laughs) is it not really i mean it's it's like it's fast food it's fast food and they make up stuff like a quesadilla, it's made up stuff. And, and that's my point,
1: too. Like, the, like to generalize, like, yeah. you, like, group Taco Bell into that category. Yeah. And you think that this is not, like, a prestigious cuisine.
0: What they think of our food is a street food. Tacos are street food. Tamales are street food. They're delicious. But, like, you know, Taco Bell is, like, not—I th- know. I've never had Taco Bell, so I don't know. But it doesn't look Mexican. But it's funny. So, like— What is the one big import, Mexico? And we'll just just stick with Mexico. Mexico has had, it hasn't been necessarily the music. It's not mainstream. Directors. You keep winning best director. No, no, you're (laughs) the best director. It's the food. The food in the, I think it was the 70s. That's when tortillas went into supermarket aisles. So like people in Idaho, people in Louisiana have access to Mexican food, but might not have access to a Mexican. So it's weird. It's like our food went first, but it hasn't like, been an ambassador. It's just like you disassociate, but like, you know, you don't link the culture.
1: And even as you drive further south in America, the food starts to get more Mexican. Like I think in Texas, like oh, I, it's well, only it's breakfast tacos. <laughs> we,
0: I'm, I grew up in McAllen, Texas. Yeah. That's 10 minutes from the border of Mexico. There's a ton of Mexicans. Also, there's a ton of Texicans because Texas used to be its own country. And there's people who've never been Mexican. They were American, but they have last names like Martinez, Lopez, because... They have been there since the Spanish land grants. Basically, Texas is it's, its own thing, you know? Anyway.
1: And they know that.
0: They Oh, yes. Yes, absolutely. I love a Texican. Yep.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Everything we've talked about, your show comes back to family. When did your family move from Mexico?
0: I was like 13. So like I started junior high, which was a culture shock. Because I only had access to like a few images of Americanness, like old VHS types of Grease 2, Karate Kid Part 2. So when I showed up the first day of school, I dressed like the 50s. Because this is before the internet when I came, you know? So it wasn't like now that you just, it's so global, everything, you know? Just embarrassing for lots of years at first. Such an immigrant. Maybe immigrant mistakes left and right.
1: I don't think that's probably an uncommon experience.
0: No, that's what I'm saying. That's a very immigrant experience. When I wrote about this, I made all the immigrant mistakes, like with my big accent, try to talk American. Like try to dress American, but it was just a mess. Just... I just was an immigrant. Too much perfume. Like, um, I still played with dolls when I came. And American girls at 12, 13 did not play with dolls. It's really funny. Then right away, I was like, I don't want these dolls. But I would have kept them for a little bit longer. Because it was like, you were younger in Mexico. I don't know how to explain it. But here, the girls, they were playing a board game. And no more dolls. And I was like, oh, stupid dolls, stupid dolls. It, it, it was weird. It was it was weird. It was like, American, oh, they're wearing lip gloss, lip gloss, you know?
1: With these feelings about I need to fit in, did you need to fit in because of like anti-Mexican sentiment or was it just like anti-other?
0: No, anti-other because it was a border. So there were lots of Mexican-Americans and these Texicans that I mentioned, you know, so they— don't speak Spanish, but they look like me, and they have last names like mine. And then there were Americans, white Americans, and then there were Mexicans like me, other Mexicans like me that were also struggling or had been there a couple of years like, listen, kid, it's going to get better, you know, <laughs> like that kind of stuff. But it was like navigating the border culture, two tongues, like two thought processes, and then your parents at home not allowing English, you know, and then being out there and not wanting to have this accent that you have, you know, so— it was a lot <laughs>
1: you have a very light accent is yeah, that something you had to work there. hard to... Can, yes
0: because I went to theater school acting you know and um when I got there the first month my teacher was like oh no I do not know how you knew the term you're not doing Shakespeare with that Texican accent and then I had to learn like I code switch so I but if I relax a little bit it you know oh, so I'm, I'm sure you... you've heard it like um little things right now you can hear
1: so was there tension with your parents that you wanted to get rid of your accent
0: No, they didn't know I was doing it. It was my own, like, teenage, you know, stuff that was happening. They just thought I was, oh, she's becoming an American teenager because we hear that they're emo here and, like, difficult. Because, like I said, I'd just been playing with dolls. But I guess for this standards, at 13, 12, it's too late to be playing with dolls. But I had seven Cabbage Patch kids that we brought over, we set up their beds and everything. And then, like, after a couple months, I was like, get rid of those. I do not play with dolls anymore. It's terrible, you know?
1: This is a question of rude and stereotype, but you are pretty light-skinned. Oh. Do most people assume that you're Mexican or no?
0: It, it depends. I look so Mexican to me. I look more Mexican than a lot of people in my family who are blue-eyed and you know, green-eyed. But sometimes here, people confuse me for something else, you know? But Latinx don't. They know. They're like, oh, that's a Mexican girl. But like other people, or like maybe a Greek person might be like, or you know who's always claiming me? Russians. Because also my name's Tanya and I speak a little. I speak a little bit. They're like, no, you're Ruski. And I'm like, I am not Ruski. No, but Mexicans, especially Mexicans, know the name.
1: Because we can always, like, spot our own, right? Yeah, we
0: can spot our own. You can see my mestizaje. Mestizaje is my mix somewhere. I'm Mexican, so by definition, I'm mixed because of the colonization, you know? So, like, I'm sure my cheekbone. you know what I'm saying? You see see my mestizaje.
1: I just didn't know if there was, like, complications because you were, like, to some people might be, like, white passing.
0: Sure, I, I understand that because there's some privilege in that, you know what I mean? And I have been, especially when I code switch, I know I perform it sometimes. And some people do not have the, you know, access to that. I, yeah, I I walk in my privilege.
1: While I'm asking passing questions, I mean, do you consider yourself like like, straight passing? Uh,
0: You know what? How many times have I fought in bars about me being a tourist? You are like, tourist. I get the tourist. So I put it in season two. You're in queer
1: spaces and they think you're yeah, my
0: queers are like, are you're just a Taurus. It really hurts my feelings all the time, especially because my last relationship was with a cis male. And people are like, oh, no. And I'm like, wait, hold on. You can't. <laughs> it's so weird how you have to like prove your queerness. But yeah, from queers, um, queer women mostly.
1: I think that's a queer woman experience. Yeah. Right. Like I'm a bit flamboyant. I've never had to prove my gayness. Right.
0: Yeah, exactly. I think so. And that's the only people I've gotten into it with are, you know, lesbian women. At bars, mostly, because so there's alcohol involved. And like, oh, come on. And the tourist thing, I was like, what am I going to do with this tourist thing? I know what. I'm going to put it in my season.
1: How do you see queer women being treated in Mexico?
0: This is complicated. You know, my dad hasn't spoken to me since 2012.
1: So Because of your queerness? No,
0: because I spoke back to him oh. once. It's that, it's that deep. The patriarchy is that strong. So, like, I'm out to my mother. I'm out to my tias, my aunts. But in Mexico, it feels... Not as Mexico City feels safe. The big cities feel safe, but we're we're from the province. It doesn't feel the same. I'm not talking like just oh, people are gonna give you a d- dirty look. It's like the threats from my father. The threats from my father would be like if my son were ever gay, I would shoot him myself. Like that. Those are real. They're not like he's just saying it. They're real. It's a country that's especially in Mexico City and Monterrey and Guadalajara. It has very rich queer scenes, but like in the provinces, it's that we're still very Catholic, very patriarchal, you know, and so it doesn't feel as safe there. And for women, we handle it a little bit in Vida because you see Eddie, Vidalia's wife, it feels like she's accepted, you know, in this neighborhood. Like She's fine until the last episode where there's a hate crime committed against her. And then you realize, don't forget, yes, you can have your circles because Vida, it was a lesbian bar, so, you know, you have your circle, but you step outside of that and don't forget, it's dangerous. You know, we're still machista society. So machismo is a real thing. It's complicated. I love my culture, but I understand aspects that are fucked up.
1: Similar to America, like there are safe places depending on where you are in the country. When I was visiting Mexico last year, it was like a smaller town and I wanted to go to the One Gay Bar. And I think it was called like Club 69, even though that's a joke from Drag Race, but it was something like Club 69, (laughs) you know, something very overt and gay. And I just had the experience of... And this is my assumption. Like, mm-hmm. It felt like I was visiting a gay bar in America from like the
0: 1980s. Yeah, sure. Yeah.
1: No sign on the outside. Yeah. It was dark, like down a dark alleyway. It was just that mentality that I yeah, imagined. gay
0: men are in real danger, I think, especially in small towns.
1: Are queer people or trans people like protected under the law there?
0: Well, in Mexico City is different. Like you can get married in Mexico City. You can, it's there's, that different. Yeah. yeah. It's like London and the rest of the UK. It's like that, you know? It is, but then the small towns, it's, you know, small municipalities with cultural norms that are, like, 20th century, you know? Wow. So Those
1: you said towns. that your father, you've not spoken to because you, you spoke back to him. Uh-huh. How did he take your queerness, though?
0: My mother was always like, don't come out to him. It's fine. It, the only thing my mother said when I came out to her, she was like, ten cuidado. Just be careful. From what? I don't know what my mother imagined. They were like, don't, 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 don't tell him. I didn't even tell him I was diabetic, too. So, like, I don't have a lot of... You know, access to my dad, like that. I, he obviously knows because I'm out, and then his—everybody knows in the family. But I've never—I never came out to him. But that's because I have a, a weird relationship with him. Yeah. And, my, and also my mother was like, don't—don't don't do it. Please. <laughs> they're divorced, so they're not together.
1: Oh, I see. Yeah. Also, as you become a more public queer person—
0: Oh, also I've been in articles in Mexico. That's my coming out to him.
1: So you yeah. being called a tourist in gay bars. Is hey. that probably in the past, when you were less public?
0: Yes. Oh, yeah. When it was just me at a bar, you know.
1: Now they're like, it's Tanya. Get a drink.
0: Yeah, <laughs> right. Like, get, get her to buy you a drink.
1: Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, she works in TV yeah, now, not theater. Yeah, she can buy theater. a drink.
0: Yeah, I know.
1: I think looking at your career, it'd be really easy to paint you as an overnight success, right? You got this job on Devious Maids, then you wrote on Looking, and then How to Go with Murder, and like, bam, you have your own show now.
0: <laughs> That's 15, 16 years in Chicago, like— uh, cleaning toilets, doing the box office, writing the shows and being in them, directing them, like 16 years of that, you know?
1: Yeah, you worked your butt off in yeah. theater. You mentioned Chicago. You worked in Steppenwolf. I you did. wrote plays for them. You wrote plays for Oregon Shakespeare. These are yeah. the biggest Goodman theaters around theater. the country. The Goodman. Yeah. Did you always want to cross over into TV? No,
0: that was an accident. That was an accident. I was doing a play in New York that I thought, I was like, I have arrived. It was my first play, but I was sleeping on a couch. Like it was not really, it was off Broadway. You well,
1: did you write it or you were in I it? Wrote, No, no, I okay. wrote
0: it. Actually, I, I was in the original Chicago version of it, but then by New York, we needed like proper actors. An agent sent me an email, a, a TV agent, and was like, I read your play. Do you want to be a TV writer? Let's meet. What? I was like, but it was free lunch. So Yes. So And then he just kind of proposed, like, come to L.A. I had a play here, like, three months later. I was going to have a play. Come to L.A. and take meetings. And I was like, what? That's how you get a job in TV. Don't you have to, like, study TV writing? No, no, no. Just do this. Talk about yourself. What? And that really did happen. I came. I talked about myself. I kept talking about my dad's mistress. And it was like, keep telling that story about your dad's mistress. Gold what? It came out once and then I guess he got feedback and he's like, keep talking about your dad's mistress. I was like, okay, so I would try to work in my dad's mistress every time.
1: How are you? My dad is a mistress. My,
0: my dad is a mistress. I <laughs> detest her. He married her. She was a secretary, the whole thing, you know? Maybe that's why my dad doesn't want to talk to me. But then it worked. And not just that, because like, I wrote a play about my dad's mistress, Yerba, and I sold it to HBO. We made a pilot. I mean, we didn't make a pilot, we, they developed it, but we wrote a pilot. It worked. It's weird. The thing is that I had 16 plays to back that I could write. I couldn't back up. It was like write for TV.
1: Does that feel like a different muscle?
0: Yes. Because my, I had one scene that was 36 pages in a play. 36. People came in, out. It was like its own little one. I play. the scene. Here, the scenes have to be, like, a page, two pages, succinct, fast, like, accurate, you know, like, clear. And also, I was used to being so, like, precious about my writing. I would light my incense. I would meditate. I would pray to the muse, all of it. Here, it's like you're in a room. You're, like, pitching It's not sacred at all, you know? It's very different.
1: Yeah. So you got that first job on Devious Maze, which I mentioned. From talking. And you're writing on that. You were able to be successful there because of this long experience in the theater and writing for so long, right?
0: I felt like a darkness because I didn't know final draft. I didn't know what an outline was, what pitching. So I don't really remember that first season. It was like, "Uh," you know, but then at the end, I guess I did learn how to write for TV because looking was a joy. And by then it was weird. It was like, Devious was my schooling, you know, in lots of ways. The actual format, how to craft a scene and all that. And then I show up and looking and Andrew Hay, who did Weekend, he's brilliant. He had never run a show or been on a TV show. He was a, a director and like an independent film director at that. So there was no hierarchy. It was really cool room. It was all queer too. I was the only girl. The first no jill soloway was there oh funny yeah that's where i got to meet jill
1: looking um, is kicking out these people oh my oh, yeah. god to go run their own shows
0: yeah yeah
1: so with looking a fun fact which i love is that your first boyfriend was raul castillo I know, who was 14, richie yeah when i was 14. at 14 oh my god yeah
0: it was like that first boyfriend that's it's incredible
1: like, so he played richie on the show was it just coincidence you guys worked on the show together
0: yes you know, we were never supposed to be together, I bet, those six years. We should have always been those best friends. You were together
1: six years? Yeah.
0: Oh. Oh, yeah. He, we oh, were... this
1: wasn't like we went to prom once and, like, had a... No. Wow. Well, because I, we
0: were from a small border town, right? And we were the only two kids... Like, kids that really cared about theater, but, like, we sat in his, like twin bed and like would make out and read plays out loud together nerds oh like my God. we should have been best friends always it was like that you know all he wanted to do after high school was go to austin play in a band and work in a coffee shop and i was like the bossy top and i was like no you're going to go to boston university because that's where i'm gonna go and that's it and he applied only to boston university we went to college together too Th- the same thing and then he now says he's like You know, if you hadn't been a bossy girlfriend and made me go, then I would have just been playing, you know, the bass in a band and which might have been fine, too. You know, we very linked because then after that, um, we did plays. He was in my place. I was in his. Then Looking came. Now he's in second season of Vida. Oh, just wait. He's like cholo chic.
1: Oh, my God. He also was in We the Animals. Did you see the movie?
0: It stunning film, stunning. It really rocked me.
1: I agree. It was one of my favorite gay films of uh, the last couple of years. Ooh,
0: people need to see it. It's I so agree. gorgeous.
1: But he's doing the work to like build that gay fan base.
0: Yeah, and it's not by design, you know, but it's, you know. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Like looking, Vida does not shy away from sex scenes. Yeah. It's very normalizing of that, which we've talked about. Was that your intention going into it? That Was that something you wanted to do with the show?
0: Well, I was very affected by looking, right? The way we... Because Andrew is a visionary and he would like, the way he shoot the street scenes, it looked like a, 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 a film sometimes. That's something that, I, a palette, you know, that I brought. It was, it's not quite like, because it, you know, that's a different coloring and colorized different way. I wanted it and be that for our... Levels of colonization to show because we they always either whitewash them or are uh, brownface them. And they either, you know, in lighting. And I wanted us to be lit right, you know. And also the neighborhood to be lit right. Not fetishized because of the murals and the, you know, but like shot right. Uh, so that was super important. But, but yeah, the sex, it's important that you feel slightly uncomfortable. Slight, like if you were there, you know, slightly enticed but also real. Like it shouldn't be too glossy. At all the sex scenes. Because I don't know about you. I've never had glossy sex with anybody. (laughs) I can't answer. (laughs) Yeah, you're like... My parents listen. I can't answer this. All right.
1: No, but I I like that your sex scenes, too, they they continue. Like, oftentimes we'll see some people, like, fall into bed and then, like, it cuts to black. And, like, that's, like, when interesting stuff starts. Or, like, we'll see the end of the sex scene where, like, they're, like, getting out of bed and, like, finding their clothes and processing what happened. And you see that, oh, like, she doesn't have sex with... The same person ever. That's a big that's character design. design. Yeah. yeah, yeah. We we mentioned that this is the first show that you've led. You're yes. the showrunner for. What kind of learning curve was
0: that? I need to be handheld a lot. Now season two, now I let go of their hand a little more, and I can say yes, no, because that's the main thing. Like they come into we da, 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 da. here's a problem. Yes or no? Oh shit! At the first season, I was like. No, maybe. Yes.
1: But you just described yourself as like a bossy top. Yes. Is that but, not for the well, show? Yes.
0: Well, you have to learn that too when you have millions of dollars at stake. Because, you know, I led for 10 years a theater company. So I was very yes, no. But then they give you this much money and then – then and it's not my money. It's Star's money. And I'm like, I got to take care of – so that, the first season, it was that. It was – um Learning how to do it. Season two, I'm there. I'm fine. Okay. Yeah.
1: So how do you judge the success of the show? Is it awards? Is it reviews? Is it conversations it creates?
0: On a base level, if we get season three. <laughs> so I just want to keep telling the story, you know? I think there's more story to tell. But um, I don't know. I Look, that's a weird question because I'm new to this. So, like, our first award was, you know, our first, like— The Glide uh, Awards. Yeah, I was— like, I was geeked for days. And I think people are like, stop posting about it on Instagram. Because I was like, just pictures with me and my, like, not mine, our. No, the glad yeah. award, you
1: won Best Outstanding Comedy. Comedy. That's a big award. And also, like, it's a small show.
0: It's a tiny show. And because people are going to find us, I think, season two. So, like, it's not like the whole world. Brooklyn Nine-Nine. We were up against Brooklyn Nine-Nine. I love all, actually, all the shows that were up. Like, the shows I watch. It. it Yes, but I don't know how to measure. That's a weird Yeah, I know. I I, I know there's not a
1: good answer for that. No, no, no.
0: Yeah, well, maybe somebody does have one, but me, I'm still like, "Mm," you know, like the reaction is still overwhelming in the best of ways.
1: Are you still writing plays?
0: Right now, I'm not because I'm writing a new show, Brujas. Brujas. Mm -hmm. What does that mean in Spanish? Like witches. It's witches. It's much more loaded than witch, I feel like. In what way? So it's also an insult that you tell some, like, like a hag, but like... You'd call someone a witch, but you say something—a witch. I don't usually hear people in the United States saying, oh, she's such a witch, as much as bruja. Bruja also, because of the Catholic, it had such a, like, bad connotation. And now that, that term is being retaken and reclaimed, especially by the younger generation of feminists, Latinx feminists, that is coming up. they
1: are using witch in the magic sense?
0: Yes. Yeah, so I practice brujería. I pray over a candle, and I pray to my orisha, and I, you know— it's old ancestral female knowledge that we're reclaiming, you know? So, like, herb lore uh, that we're reclaiming that we always knew, but somehow we forgot because the 20th century just killed a lot of those. You know, and and other centuries, but, like, it killed a lot of those, you know, midwifery traditions, all that stuff. And all that is brujería, curanderismo. And I've seen a search, uh, Instagram brujas, and also just bruja culture. Like, I got these earrings that are saying bruja, and, like, now we can say the word like I couldn't say that word to my mother, to my dad. They'd be like, what are you – and now yeah. I'm like, I practice brujería. But to have said that 20 years ago is like
1: – And exact same thing with being queer too. Like as we become yeah. more comfortable like self-identifying as queer like in public, I've seen this rise in like bruja culture and witches and astrology yeah. and people who um maybe used to like read astrology ironically like live their lives by it.
0: Yeah. I was just telling you a story earlier on about a ghost and it's because I – depend so much on the wisdom of women, these wise women. That's what witch means, basically. So now we've, like in the 20th century, especially, well, no, in Salem and everything, we have given it a bad connotation, the term witch, you know, but I think there's a reclaiming now. Also, in this show Brujas that I'm trying to finish writing, most of the narratives of witchcraft that we have in the media or in Hollywood are Eurocentric. The craft, practical magic... Charmed. The practice, the actual uh, belief system, is Eurocentric. It's Wiccan. It's pagan, but it's from Europe. This brujas is a Yoruba tradition. It's the uh, the traditions that slaves brought to America that mixed um, with Native American and American. When I mean all the Americas, and also indigenous Mexican traditions. So these brujas are those type of brujas. They're not Eurocentric witches. Because
1: every culture has these kinds of people, but we've only seen this Eurocentric kind.
0: Yoruba cultures had witchcraft before there was Europe, you know what I mean? So, like, that's an old continent that's been practicing it. So, yes, um, anytime we see Yoruba tradition or our indigenous magical traditions, they're like, bad santeria, or funny. Like, oh, they're killing a chicken, they're eating the chicken, bone. whatever. It's like, otherwise, it's disrespected, and it's they're beautiful belief systems, just like paganism. So I... I just want us to be like, this is what it is and honor it, you know, with the show Brujas.
1: And it feels like maybe 10 years ago, you couldn't even have named a show Brujas because of the word.
0: Actually, this is based on that play that I did in New York when I met that agent. And it was back then called Enfrascada because I couldn't call it Brujas. What does that mean? Uh, It just means jarred, like you're you're in a jar because there's so many uh, spells that are jar spells. And it's a play on words in Spanish, but nobody can say Enfrascada. So I'm like, Brujas, it's Brujas. Yeah. Yeah.
1: I mean, I asked all these questions about language, but also watching the show, I think you walk a really interesting line of making it enjoyable to a Spanish-speaking audience, but also understandable and enjoyable to a non-Spanish-speaking you audience. You will never
0: miss anything. There might be a joke you might miss, but not content.
1: We don't need to like always no. know what every word right. means.
0: When you go to Boyle Heights and people are speaking Spanish, you're missing some stuff, but not the stuff you're supposed to not miss, you know? Because I did that with all my plays. They were all bilingual like that, and it... Found a way that by context clues you will understand. You will get that someone's calling somebody else puta. That you know, hey puta, and it's and she reacts like it's an insult. Oh, she's being insulted. You know.
1: I'll let you get back to writing, but thank you for talking to us.
0: Thank you so much for having me. Of course.
1: And that's our show. The new season of Vita premieres on May twenty sixth on Stars. LGBTQA is brought to you by Luminary Media, The Advocate, and Hum Media. We are produced by Zach Stafford, Gabriel Horton, Jonathan Hirsch, Elizabeth Mendoza, and myself, with sound engineering by Tyler Barton. We'll see you next week.